Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 138. Now, if you, uh, oh, that's it. If you look at the upcoming schedule, you'll notice that this year we have an Ash Wednesday service scheduled. Now, for many of us, we think of Ash Wednesday as purely something from, the, from Roman Catholicism or maybe the Anglicans, uh, but the Ash Wednesday is really about repentance and preparing our hearts for the joy that comes at Easter. And uh, next week, I'll have kind of an information sheet for you uh, to sum up what, what the service is about, theologically speaking. Uh, it's obviously, it's a service to worship the Lord, but it's a service also to understand our sin. Um, Will we do the ashes and everything? If, if you want to have ashes on your head, we will have that opportunity. Uh, it's called the imposition of ashes. You don't have to. It's like whenever we wash feet, you don't have to take your shoes off and have your feet washed. You know, I had a little old lady in the... Little old lady, sorry to characterize it that way. She's sweet as, as all get out. And she said, only my podiatrist sees my feet. All right? And we were halfway through the service in Wilmington. She was taking off her shoes. Okay, She was ready for it. She was ready. Uh, but that will be Ash Wednesday, and that is uh, 10 days, I believe, from now. Okay, So Psalm 138. Um, I had something ready from another psalm, but it just wasn't right. So Thursday I threw it out. Start again. Sometimes that's what what you get you just have to, to do that you sit there and you stare at it you stare at it you have four or five thousand words of research all on the screen and you go, that's not what the lord wants us to do so delete or i saved it for later maybe we'll do it again later i didn't, I didn't delete it i would <laughs> psalm 138 if you're able would you stand with me as we read the word of god heavenly father we pray that you would come upon us with your holy spirit provide us understanding that our eyes would be open to your word today and your promises. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we'll only be dealing with verses 7 and 8, but I'll read the entire psalm because it's not too long. This is the psalm of David. I will give thee thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to thee before the gods. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. On the day I called, thou didst answer me. Thou didst make me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to thee, O Lord, when they have heard the words of thy mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And for, and for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies. Thy right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, the psalm falls into three sections pretty, pretty easily, verse 1, 2, and 3. Uh, David's in trouble. Well, that's, that's no great shock to us because David is often in trouble in the psalms, and he cries out to the Lord because the Lord is his deliverance. The Lord uh, has, has ordered his days and gotten him where he needs to be, but sometimes David is off in trouble, so he remembers that I, I, I'm in the hand of the Lord, and, and the Lord will take care of me. 
And then this 4, 5, and 6 is really about the call to all the earth. All the kings of the earth, all the rulers of the earth are charged with worshiping God. All the kings of the earth will give thanks. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is his glory. It's a challenge almost from David to say, hey, rest of the world, get your stuff together. Realize who it is that has given you everything that you have. That is the God who needs to be worshiped. And then this last section, uh, 7 and and 8 really, David's in trouble again, Um, but David is back, in a sense, to the present, though I walk in the midst of trouble. So this is what's going on presently in his life and, and the things that he is struggling. He says, though I'm in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand in wrath against my enemies. Now, this is something that is always a, a struggle, uh, and, and this is kind of off what we're, we're dealing with. But the Psalms, the precatory Psalms, There are plenty of instances in the Psalms where David asks the Lord to come and destroy his enemies. Okay, he flat out says, Lord, come and and crush the enemies. And he doesn't make any bones about it. He comes straight off and says, Lord, he's praying for their destruction. Um, uh, Should we pray for the destruction of God's enemies? Well, we got the choirs ready for it. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and understand, sooner or later, the enemies of God will fall. They will either have a complete change of heart and will become His children. Like, remember, there was a day when each of us were enemies of the Lord. You say, enemies of the Lord? I was never an enemy of the Lord. Well, you weren't a believer, so you were an enemy of the Lord. And then He changed your life. And, and everything about you was now different. Your name was different. You had a, a name called a Christian. Your eternal address was different. Now your inheritance is different. All of these things were different. You were an enemy once. We pray for their salvation. But if it is the Lord's will that they will not be saved, then they will be destroyed. I mean, that's very clear in Scripture. And do we pray for that? Hmm. Well, just be careful we don't have you on an enemy's list. Okay, he goes into the prayer. Okay, so that's a, sorry as as an aside, but that's what we deal with, and there are many psalms like that. They're called the precatory psalms. Many psalms where David prays the wrath of God down upon his enemies. All right, so Calvin. Let me read some some a little bit from John Calvin. He says the psalms provide an expression for every part of Christian experience. Every part of experience in the Christian life, the psalms give us something. So you're saying, I I just don't know what to pray. Go to the Psalms. I I don't know what the Lord is doing. Go to the Psalms. They are there for us. Those types of experiences, those types of expressions that we are to have to the Lord. Because David, he's not writing some great theological treatise when he writes these things. He's writing out of the anguish of his heart. He is pouring out his life. He says, Lord, the people trying to kill me. Come and help me. Lord, I'm struggling here terribly. I don't know what to do. Come and help me. Lord, I see what you have done, and I give you thanks, and I give you praise for all of these things. This is what goes on in the Psalms. Now, David is writing, oh, long before the birth of Christ. And here we are. We are on the other side of the birth of Christ. We are on the other side of his perfect life, of his miracles. We are on the other side of the sacrificial death, the atoning death of Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. How much more should we understand the Lord than David? 
Now just think about that for a moment. David understood the promises. He understood that he was called. He came from the line of the covenant. But he did not understand the things of Christ. The Holy Spirit had not come and filled him in the same way that it comes and fills us. So, so when we look at these things that David writes, the question for us is, how much more should we know? And how much, more, how much of a greater understanding of the Lord should we have than what David had? Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. But as we know, and, and David was just as fallible as the rest of us. So let's look and see the promises of the Lord in this psalm, and particularly verses 7 and 8, and how we are to live with these. Now verses 7 and 8, David, as I said, is back in the first person. He says, I walk, I give thanks, okay? I bow down. These are the things that he said, he said through here in the first part and in the last part here. He says, and he says these are the things that are happening to him. But there's also the promises that he finds from the Lord. I walk in the midst of trouble, you'll revive me. You'll stretch out your hand against, it, against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save you. This is verse 7. He's got this great confidence. Yes, I'm in the midst of this. I'm struggling. Uh, my enemies surround me. He writes this in, in plenty of other places. But the Lord will protect me. In fact, we get to, to, to verse 8 here. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me now the word accomplish in verse 8 you might have a different word in your translation it might be the lord will perfect what concerns me will perfect what concerns me so let me ask you a question about your prayer life and you don't have to answer this but you got to answer it in your own heart do your prayers when you close your eyes at night or wake up in the day do they go something like this Lord, no matter what's going on in my life right now, I know you'll preserve me. I know you'll fulfill your purpose in me. I know you will never leave me or forsake me because I'm the work of your hands. Maybe we pray that when we're really in struggling, when we're really being pressed upon and we don't have anything else to say except that, Lord, I know I'm striving to do your will and I'm going to walk in your path and I don't understand what else is going on but I will trust in you. You will preserve me. That's your promise. You will fulfill your purpose in me. And I don't necessarily understand what that purpose is, but you will fulfill it within me. Why? Because I am the work of your hand. He has shaped us and formed us in our mother's womb and has brought us to this place in life, in this location, at this age, so that we might give him glory. He will preserve you. He will fulfill his purposes in you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. All right, that's basically verse 7. Let's go to verse 8. And this is really where we want to spend our time this morning. And, and I'm just going to take the first half of verse 8 and look at the words that are there. Because the words are so cool as David makes application here. In the words, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Or the Lord will perfect what concerns me. Let's look at the first word, the Lord. David does not say, I have grace enough to perfect that which concerns me. I can do it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that my faith is so strong that I shall never fail. 
He doesn't say my love is so warm that it will never grow cold. He doesn't say that my resolution is so strong that I will never fail the Lord. He doesn't say that. How many of us would dare say that? That I have all these things in and of myself, that I am so strong that I will never fail the Lord. And, uh, oh, just, how many of us have failed the Lord at some time? Well, that's everybody. That's everybody. But it is the Lord that he places his faith in. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. If you have any confidence which is not grounded upon the Lord, anything that's not built upon the firm foundation of Christ or rooted in the rock of ages, you know the hymn we sing, rooted in the rock of ages, then that confidence is futile. It will let you down. You will fail. You will be wounded. You will be injured. Um, you will suffer sorrow. You will suffer grief. But the psalmist, David here, is building upon nothing else than the Lord. That's where his faith is because the lord began a good work in us he is what faithful to complete it. faithful to complete it if there is one thing that i add to the righteousness of christ then i'm lost if there's one penny that i have to add to the price that christ has paid for us then we are without hope why because that's my work not the work of christ remember i'm a lump of clay and he's what He's the potter. I'm just a lamb. And what is he? He's the shepherd. If you have any question, you can look at that window back there. And there is Christ carrying the lamb. Now let me understand, the, let me make sure you know the significance of that. The one lamb runs away and the 99 are there. Where does Christ go? The great shepherd. He goes after the one lamb. Now if, if I'm that lamb and I run away and, and I don't learn my lesson, I go run away again, I go run away again. Do you know what the shepherd will do? The shepherd will break the lamb's leg. Then he will set the lamb's leg and he will carry that lamb until the leg is strong enough. And what happens to that lamb during that time? He is so bonded with the shepherd that he will never leave the shepherd again. And some of us understand that. Some of us have had our legs broken, spiritually speaking, because we have been ones to wander away and we've gone off and done our own things and the Lord has had, either the world has had our, the, its way with us or the, the Lord has brought into our lives things that have corrected us. And now we are more bonded to the Savior than we ever were before because we understand His grace and we understand His mercy so much deeper and so much richer than before. Not only does he carry us, he fights off the wolves, he fights off the bears, he fights off the lions for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for us. That is the Lord. That is who David says, he will do the work. The Lord then is the believer's confidence. Let's go to the next word. Will. Will. What tense is that? That's future tense. David understands what has happened in the past. David understands the Lord's faithfulness presently in, our, in his life, and he is so confident that he can look to the future and say, the Lord will continue to do it this way. His confidence is future confidence. Now understand, the future to the Lord is just like the present is, because he knows the future. Time is for us. It is not for the Lord. He understands what has happened in the past. He understands what is happening now. He understands what will happen in the future. He knows beforehand everything that you and I will ever go through. It does not say the Lord may. It does not say I hope the Lord will. But it says He will. It's definitive. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. 
were to take his word simply as it stands, believe it. David had no doubt about his future perfection. And his future, future perfection would not be in this world, but will be eventually when he stands before the Lord. That is when we will be ultimately perfected. But there are things which the Lord will accomplish according to our concerns. And we'll see that in a minute. Now, there are many things that may or may not happen in our lives, but he will perfect that which concerns me. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I like to hear God's people speak self-effacingly of themselves, but confidently in their God. Think about that for a moment. Self-effacingly of themselves, but confident in their God. God will do these things. Well, I might. I will fail you for sure, but God will never fail you. Never fail you. The next word, accomplish, or uh, I like the translation perfect a little bit, bit better. No man or woman has, who has any intelligence would say that they are perfect, right? Now, if you remember last week, Dan talked about uh, what being in love and, and that gaga stage, and you might think during that stage that, that that guy or girl is just perfect. But you quickly learn otherwise, okay? You quickly learn that they are not perfect, and, and, and think, what price would we be willing to pay to be perfect? We don't have any, any image to imagine what it would be like in, in this world, within our real lives, of what perfection might be. Again, Spurgeon says, If I must be burnt in fire or dragged through the sea by the hair of my head, if I must be buried in the bowels of the earth or hung up to the stars forever, if I might be but perfect... I would rejoice in any price I might have to pay for perfection. But see, that's, that's what we might think. I pay any price to be perfect. But yet the perfect has come and paid the price for us. The perfect being Christ. The perfect being He left the right hand of the Father and He gave His life, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the perfect one gave His life for us. Not that we'll be perfect in this world, but there will be a time when we'll stand before the Lord completely cleansed in the blood of Christ, then we will be perfect. Perfection is absolutely impossible for us on this earth. Again, Spurgeon, but I am certain that to all believers, future perfection is an absolute certainty. The day will come when the Lord will not only make us better, but he will make us perfect. The day will come when he shall not merely subdue our sin, but erase sin completely from our lives. The day shall come when he shall make us not only tolerable in his sight, but holy and acceptable in his sight. That day shall come when we are glorified together with Christ in heaven. Now, next word. What? Uh, that's a powerful word. You're thinking, really? Really, Rand? Or if, if you're... Uh, the, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me, or if your translation, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. So I'm using that which concerns me. It's not, this is not one specific item that the psalmist is dealing with here. It's whatever concerns me, the Lord will perfect. At one point in my life, my sin concerned me. What did the Lord do? He brought Christ, opened my eyes, saved me. He has taken care of that by giving me faith. Then I realized that I had no righteousness of my own. What did the Lord did? He took care of my concern. How? 
providing and imputing the righteousness of Christ in me. Now sanctification concerns me. What do I know about sanctification? He spends what? He sends what? The Holy Spirit to me. That He might live within me. That I might become more and more conformed to the things of Christ. Again, Spurgeon, whatever is laid upon my heart to be concerned about, this comprehensive term embraces it all. Be it that it may, if I have a spiritual concern upon my soul about any heavenly thing, God will perfect it. Now, don't think this is any concern at all. Oh, gee, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? Well, don't be concerned about it. God will perfect it. No, this is a spiritual concern. These are the things that, remember the... The Lord says, whatever you pray in the Father's name, what happens? Uh, He'll be given. Whatever? Well, you go up on the steeple and you pray that you can fly and jump off. Will that be given to you? You'll you'll fly and just be right down. Okay, But it has to be, understand, the, the, the caveat is there has to be within the will of the Lord. If this is within the will of the Lord, He will provide it for you. And understand, that does not mean we have to pray only small. Man, we can pray big. We can pray for the Lord to do great and marvelous things in our lives. If that is His will, it will happen. And we'll just stand back and and scratch our head and go, well, that couldn't be me. Had to be the Lord. Because I couldn't have done that. The last word. Me. All God's people shall persevere. It's one of the standards of of the Reformed faith. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. The saints will persevere because God will preserve them. All of the saints shall shall persevere. Now we've seen that and we go, oh, okay, that's that's great. It's kind of like saying the national debt is $17 trillion. Do you even know what $17 trillion looks like? It it really has no impact on my life. I, I say that's bad, okay? I can come up and say that's bad. Yes, I know one day it will come and impact my life when they come and confiscate everything that I own. I I don't know what they'll do. But really, $17 trillion, what does that mean? It means nothing to me. But I have a mortgage, and I have to pay that mortgage every month. Really, Judy writes the check. But but that, that concerns me, okay? So when we come to this psalm and we see these words, it's not that the Lord will accomplish whatever concerns all of his people it's whatever concerns who me and you when you have a spiritual concern when you have a thing that is within the will of the lord and you take it to him and it is a concern of your heart he will perfect it he will accomplish it the lord will perfect that which concerns me one person one believer out of the billions and billions of believers the lord is concerned with what's on my heart He is concerned with my prayer. He is concerned with the struggles that I have in my individual life. There are many people who are contented with having a group experience. Oh, I come to church and it's great. Okay, I'm I'm part of the unwashed masses and and I'm involved in church and the Lord's He's just going to take us all and it's going to be great. But the Lord says, I know your name. I know the hairs on your head. I know the words before you say them. I know what is a concern to you, and I will perfect that. I will perfect that. Spurgeon says, what is all the bread in the world unless I myself feed on it? You say, oh, God gives us grace for everything. He gives Randy grace. 
He gives you grace. He gives you grace. He will sustain you in the darkest hour. Why? Because He knows you. He created you. You are precious to Him. And what is the ground for this confidence? Look at this right after that in verse 8. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. His mercy endures forever. The believer is sure he will be saved. Why? Because of our merits? No. Because of my own strength? No. Because I have something within me that attracts the Lord to me? Well, of course not. He shall be perfected because of God's mercy. God loves to be merciful. We think, don't think that, oh, God just is a wrathful God. He just loves to crush sin. He loves to be merciful. He loves to be gracious to those who are His. Do we not begin at the cross? This is Spurgeon again. And when we have climbed over so high, is it not the cross at which we end? I know my pilgrimage shall never end to my heart's content till at His cross again I cast my wreath and lay my honors down. My sins I laid there, and all else that he has given me, I would lay there too. You began there, and your watchword is the cross. While yet the host are preparing for battle, it is the cross. And you have fought the fight, and your sword is red with blood, and your head is crowned with triumph. And what is the watchword now? It is still the cross. That which is our strength in battle is our boast in victory. Mercy must be the theme of our song here, and mercy which endures forever must be the subject of our sonnets in paradise. What is the basis for these promises? It is God's character, it is God's love, it is God's mercy, and how do we see that demonstrated to us? It is in the cross. Nothing in my hand I bring, but what? To the cross I cling. Nothing. What did I bring in my hands to the cross? Nothing. What is my only hope of salvation? It is the cross. The sole cause then of salvation is the mercy of God demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. God does not look at whether we're good or whether we're bad. He knows that we're bad. He doesn't save you because of anything in yourself. He saves you because he pleases to do so. It is his goodwill and he loves to be merciful. So all of this, elders, deacons, what is your concern? If your concern is really the spiritual life and health of this congregation, then the Lord will perfect it. If it is your prayer that this congregation grow in the things of Christ, that they come to love the Word of God, then He will perfect that concern in your life. If your desire is to see the things of Christ proclaimed in the lives of each member of this congregation, the Lord will perfect it because those are godly concerns. Those are concerns at the core of God's heart, so to speak. They are fitting for those who are called to serve. But they can't be concerns just to those people who are down here. They have to be the concern of every member of this congregation that the things of Christ be proclaimed first and foremost, that the things of Christ be exalted, that the works of the kingdom go forward. The words from each of our lips and the thoughts of each of our minds must be the glory of Christ. If that is so, then the Lord will perfect it. Let's pray.
Lord, these are your promises. But you also call us to make sure that that the things we expect you to perfect are not just the desires of our heart, but are the desires of your heart. Conform us, Lord, to the things of your word. As we dig into your word, open our eyes that it would be real to us, that we would understand it, that we would know from what your word says more and more of your perfect will and that it would be the desire of our heart, that we would pray fervently for it, that we would pursue it with all that we are, that you would accomplish those things which concern us, that you would perfect those things which concern us because they are your concerns. Because our lives have been so conformed to the image of your Son that our desires are only the things of Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.